Blog Talk Radio. Circumstances can't stop me And neither will they block me Today I feel unmovable Nothing's impossible To walk on water To calm the sea To speak to mountains I can be free just Open up our show with an idea and the thought, the saying that we have a do-over this morning. We were able to wake up this morning, and if we did not get it right yesterday, we have the ability to get it right today. And that's the awesome thing about God. We get this do-over every day, every second of the day, that we can say, oh, God, you know, I really messed up at that moment. Forgive me, and I receive your grace, your grace that you've given me. So I hope that you are all doing well. I hope that your week is going fabulous. And this is a terrific Thursday. We're going to begin with a word of prayer for you and for uh, the show this morning. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and praise you for who and what you are. Powerful, awesome, mighty, kind, true honest, faithful. That is you, God. And we thank you, Father, for being who you are. We thank you, Father, that you would send your son to die on the cross so that we can come boldly before your throne, laying out our petition with thanksgiving and gratefulness. Father God, we adore you again this morning. Now, God, as those who are listening to the sound of my voice, whether they're listening live or on demand, I lift up a prayer, a special prayer for them, special in that it's a new day and it's a special day for them, Father God. I pray, Father God, that you minister to their hearts, their minds. You will bring scriptures back to their uh, uh, remembrance, Father God, that will be uh, a, a sure word, a sure word of encouragement for what you are doing in their life, the encouragement that you will bring to them. Father God, we're always going through something, coming out of something, or getting ready to go through something. And it's okay because it's going to build perseverance and character and stamina in our lives. It's going to allow us to prove ourselves at the word that's in us. So I lift up everyone to you, Father. I pray for their families, their finances, their their uh, functioning cognitive abilities, their their job. Everything that they need, I pray that they will walk in divine health, divine authority, according to your word, that they will fall in love 
with your word more and more each day. I pray, God, that you will just minister to them and give them a heart that loves you, that surrendered to you, that submitted to you in each and every way. And for those who are listening live right now, I just pray, Father God, that you just continue to support them. And I thank them for supporting this show. And for those that are listening on demand, I pray that their days went well, their hours went well, their families are going well. And they're taking this time out right now to to go back in and to listen to what you've placed on my heart. Um, Father God, I pray that I will only speak what you want said. I will, and the words that I speak will encourage every listener, whether they're listening live, online, or on demand. So, Father God, I again thank you. I pray you anoint my lips, Father God, anoint my mind to remember what you've spoken to me over the years, what you've prepared my heart for today. So let you be glorified and let me be minimized, Father God, that your word and your word only will be manifested on this show. Well, if you guys know, um, we started this show about three weeks ago, the six things that God hates, or is it seven? The six things that God hates, or is it seven? And if you've been following, you know that it's neither one of those. It's not six. It's not seven. It's not like God hates some things more than others. It's a, a, a grammar structure that seeks to show that there are more, that we need to seek the holiness of God, um, that the reason that God set that up is because, uh, and, and that language is because it shows the emphasis on those things. So just to kind of recap on that, you know, we see that the six things which God hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. It makes it sound in some cases like that that seventh one is more horrendous than the other the other six. And then it goes on to say hearty eyes, a lying tongue, um, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that divides wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife about an, a, among a brother. Then it says the above passage contains uh, what is called a numerical proverb, a numerical proverb, which is a form of Hebrew poetry that uses a series of items to order in order to build suspense with added emphasis on the final item. Those, thus the six, yes, seven format is not to be understood as seven abominations with God hating only the first six, but as seven abominations hated by God with special attention on the last item, the question may be asked, what's significant about the last item? That one who spreads strife does so because all the preceding sins are a reality in his life. Wow. I mean, so we understand that there's more to it. It really lets us know that there's really an attitude, an attitude of just sinful behavior in that person's life. If as you we read that list of them, you know, all of those are things that we really do against one another. We do against our brother. And we don't want to do that to anyone. We want to show love. The whole purpose of this was not to beat anybody up for what they do, but to show us that none of us goes in this earth unscathed. We all are guilty of something at one point in our lives. And as we grow in Christ and grow in grace, we should be moving 
from doing these things. We should there should be a clear line of delineation that that behavior is no longer found in us. You know, I'm always amazed that uh you know, I watch certain programs on the television and the person's life was indicative of everything that we see that God doesn't like. And yet we talk about them spending eternity with God. Well, there's a grace there that allows us, if we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior, and we we received what he did, receiving means that we've turned away from these types of behavior, and we've turned to Christ. We've turned to do things his way. You know, that grace is that unmerited favor, that favor that that's not required upon what we do. It's received. We receive it. But to receive it and never walk in it, then we have to really wonder, did we honestly receive it? So today, um, we looked at before the haughty eye, which is really just being proud. Just being a proud person, not humbling yourself before the Lord, not humbling yourself before your neighbor, just a, a, a lot of knots, a, a lot of knots, thinking yourself more than you really are. That doesn't mean that we are not proud or godly proud, as a lot of people are saying these days, of our accomplishments and our abilities, but we understand that if it wasn't for God bestowing us, those abilities and those talents, where would we be? Because there's somebody else that would love to be able to sing and they sound like a cackling chicken. So those of us that can or those of us that write well or whatever your talent is, making good skits, encouraging someone, not everybody does that as well as maybe you do. So you should be proud that God chose you to bestow that talent or gift on and recognizing that not everybody has it and that you should be freely giving it and recognizing it and submitting and not thinking that we're oh so great and wonderful. And that even goes into the secular world. If you're in business, if you're in the music industry, we always recognize that if it were not for God, if it was not for God choosing to give us that which he did, where would we be? We'd be somewhere else. And we could recognize how that is so much a part of who we are, you know? So we always want to give credit back to God for that and then not put someone else down because of what they can or cannot do, but to encourage them to find their purpose and place in God to do that. Then we don't want to do the lying, the lying tongue. We know we don't want to speak deceitful things. We don't want to say things that are going to hurt people. We've t- discussed before on the show that life and death are in the power of the tongue. We have whatsoever we say. We will eat the fruits of the words that come out of our mouth. We will give, be accountable to the words and the idle talk and the idle chit-chat and adjusting the curse words that have come out of our mouth. We must be accountable for that. We must be accountable. We don't want to spread uh, negative words or lies about our neighbor, like them or not. They're wrong or not. It doesn't matter. We want to keep our mouth from speaking lies on people. We want to make sure that we are not in defiance of God's word. We want to make sure that we're always speaking 
the word of God. That doesn't mean we're walking around going, thou out there it shall be. It's no, but it's the intent, the heart of the words. Are we encouraging? Are we loving? Are we speaking truth? Are we gossiping? Or are we are the words that are coming out of our mouth. We don't want to be guilty of lying words. We don't want to be guilty of being associated with the father of lies, which is the devil, the Satan, the enemy, the father of lies, the the one that put the lie in, in Eve's mind, the one that sits and distorts the word of God and, and makes people believe things that will gratify their flesh. We don't want to be lying tongue people because it can definitely lead later on to itching ears. And we don't want to be the Christian that bounces around from house to house looking for things that are going to glorify their flesh and their sinful behaviors and lifestyles and say, okay, God's okay with this. No, we want to speak the truth and the power of the word of God. As you know, God is the, is the standard keeper, the standard setter, not man. And man can rewrite the word of God. They can rewrite the morality of God, the values of God, all they want to. But God does not change. He does not change. He's not a man that he should lie, nor a man that he should have to repent. Uh, this week, we're looking at murderous hands and a heart that devises wicked. God hates murder and those who shed innocent blood. The Bible says that God abhors those who are associated with bloodshed and hates those who love violence. Murder is the premeditated unlawful killing of an innocent person, and those who do this break God's commandments. Those who shed innocent blood fall into the into this category, and this includes those who carry out or involved with abortion. You may not have actually murdered someone, but Jesus declared that whoever becomes angry with someone without a cause is a murderer in God's eyes, as well as those who feel hatred for others, those who take pleasure in bloodshed, whether it's in a video game, movie, fight, fights or whatever else that glorifies the shedding of innocent blood fall into this category. The Bible warns that murderers are worthy of death and will have their part in the lake of fire. I mean, that's really strong language. And again, if you guys are wondering where I pulled this from, I pulled it off of um, um, some of the, uh, the web to do some research to get this. But even in looking in my commentaries and seeing really how this is, you know, portrayed out, you know, we've become so desensitized in our society that we think watching these things is just commonplace. It's just fun. It's okay. But is it really, or is it desensitizing us to the things of evil more than to the things of God? Because nowadays, bad is good, good is bad, right is wrong, and wrong is right. Nowadays, anything that we see in the word of God is antiquated. It was old news. And now we see ourselves as evolving into this new place of consciousness where we know what's right and God does not. That we are redefining uh, marriage and sexuality and uh, uh, the laws of morality and values, uh, even in our political system and our economic system, that we are now 
uh, misguided by uh, wealth. There's nothing wrong with wealth in and of itself, but if you're a stingy, nasty person without it, you'll be a stingy, you'll be a stingy, nasty person with it. If your mind and your heart divides what we just talked about and you devise murder in your heart through your hatred, through your anger, um, it's just going to manifest itself in, in the earth eventually, whether you have finances or not. Uh, who you are will eventually come out and expose itself. Uh, as we begin to look at uh, uh, various scriptures, let's turn to Psalms chapter 5, verse 6. And again, I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version, and we'll go over there real quick. We'll go over to Psalms, um, and we're going to take a quick look at what that particular scripture is saying. And then we're going to go back to um, Proverbs chapter 6. And again, this isn't to beat us up. It isn't to allow us to look at someone else and say, oh, I'm better than them. No, it's designed over again, and, you know, I prepare for this study. I'm reminded, wow, God, did I do any of that today? Did I did I hurt somebody with my mouth because I was so angry? And there are times that I'm, you know, let, let's break it down. How many of you are married or have children, and you get in a heated argument with your mate, you know, your spouse? And you say hurtful hatred, you know, hateful things because you're you're just so angry, you know, you know that kills their spirit. It may not be a physical death, but it kills their spirit. How many of us have seen couples that were happy go lucky, and then you know five years later, or they go through trials and uh, situations that just pull on them so much that they are no longer that loving, happy, doting couple, and they're just tolerating each other and literally become so familiar that they speak to each other any kind of way. I mean, it's commonplace for married couples to say, you know, I hate you right now. You know, you make me sick. You know, I don't care how mad we get. Those are hateful words. And how do we then come along inside and say, oh, I love you so much. Really? You hated me. You hated my guts 10 minutes ago. So the negative words, the murderous hands, uh, they really do have a way of killing a person's spirit and who they are and their relationship with you. And we don't want to do that with our mouth. So as we look at Psalms chapter 5, verse 6, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. And then we go over and look at again. Um, Psalms chapter 11, verse 5, and we'll take a look at that and see what is God saying? Uh, what does his word say? The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. I mean, nowadays we don't want to go to a movie now unless there's some blood and guts in it and violence. And, and we and the movies that are not like that, they're called chick flicks. It's like, really? It's like how... Negative, if not as, as that can be, that anything that doesn't have blood and guts and violence in it is 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 not good. Now we know that um, there are movies about war, but some movies are strictly designed 
to be bloody and gory, and they just really go to the next level, especially as we uh, approach Halloween. Um, we see more and more, and people just love to see. And then if it's not gory and bloody enough and scary enough, then people turn around and complain uh, about it. So, you know, we have become a society that loves the negative. We love hearing the negative um, about a person. And then we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to read there. And it talks about anger. It talks about anger. Um, and a lot of these, you know, they use words like murderous hands. Think of your hands as something that you, you do, you work with. You know, it, you're, you're taking it out among society. It, it, it's a way of describing what we do, our work, how we interact. And all of the things that are mentioned in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, are really an attitude of our heart. They're really an attitude of our heart. It just really shows that our heart is dark. And it should be a heart of light. You know, the Bible says that the eyes are the windows to the soul, but when, what does it see when it gets there? It see, it'll see darkness because we are so enthralled with the, the dark world. And it's becoming darker and darker in our earth. And the idea of love and Christianity and following Christ is dissipating in the way that it is in the Bible, but we, 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 again, we've redesigned it to fit our own fleshly and, and uh, natural desires, even our own mental desires as well. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, uh, and we're looking at verses, um, I'll just start here with uh, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whosoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother who is, will be liable to judgment. Who his brother will be liable to the uh, council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, first to be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You know, when I read that the first time many years ago, um, people have taught on that a lot. It didn't have a major you know, applicable impact to me that moment. But now when I read that, you know, we know when we don't like somebody, and God will remind us when we're in his presence and seeking to worship him, he will remind us of what's in our heart, and he wants us to get that right. Now, there are times when we may not be able to at that very, very moment, but we should do something, confess it before the Lord, and then be willing to humble ourselves and go to that person and getting it right. Getting it right doesn't mean proving your point, but it means you're clearing your heart of the offense. You're clearing your heart of the offense. So again, we don't want to be in a situation where um, we are glorifying those things which are evil and uh, uh, violent over and above, you know, normal 
um, activities. You know, if you're seeing a, a movie that it has a lot of police things, uh, uh, scenes in it, it doesn't need to be overly gory, you know, but our society has really gone there. And then, you know, for today, we're going to look at a heart that devises wickedness. We've been seeing a lot of this in the news as it relates to the business realm. You know, many of us are in business. We go to work each and every day and we're in business. And we know those companies that are less than truthful or they uh, embellish different things. And we don't want to do that. And God really hates those who do this, this level of iniquity. When you're trying to scheme through people and your heart, again, is very perverse and negative, it's really uh, an abomination, even in God's sight, that you will look to get over on people to make an extra buck or to have power in a certain way. The human heart is more deceitful than anything else and is desperately wicked. We've read that in the Bible in the Old Testament many times. And out of out of this wicked heart that all types of evil and unrighteousness spring forth. Those who achieve who actively pursue wicked impulses, you know, drug dealing, uh, lying, cheating in politics, in the business realm, even in the church or in, in, in the local body of Christ, we have a number of these things going on and nobody ever says anything or we think it's commonplace or Christians don't know how to take their morality or their value system and let it function for them in the workplace. But instead they devise plans and, and techniques and schemes and schisms that will deceive people or those that um, are on the lower rung, let's say, of the economic system. I've seen it happen there as well. Uh, this is something that we should definitely think of as we go into our um, political season. What are the, those that devise wickedness? And everybody seems to devise it. Some do it on a more grand scale. Some do it on a lower scale, but we don't want to be the ones that fabricate those plans, that fabricate those lies. Remember, the Bible says that we reap what we sow. If we sow to our flesh, if we sow lying, cheating, and stealing, then that's what we're going to get back. And it may not look like it right away, but it does happen. I want to reminds me of a scripture in Psalms chapter one, if you can go there, because we look at these six or seven things that uh, God uh, hates supposedly, and it gives us that power behind it. But let's look at what it says in Psalms 91. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the river, by the streams of water, that yield its and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind uh, drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, he will perish. Why do I read that? Why do I share that with you guys? Because many times we look at the wicked and we think 
um, that they're getting over. They're not getting over. We know the end of the book. We know what happens. So I encourage you again, as you're walking out your walk today, as you think of what you're doing in your life, remember, it's not about you and your neighbor. It's related to you and God. It's always circumspectly how we live our life. And we never want to tout ourselves that we're more holy or more this than another. We may be more mature in that area because we've grown through the process of not succumbing to you name the sin, you name the attitude. But it doesn't mean that a situation won't come up where you go, oh, I think I still have some work to do in that area. I think I still need to get myself uh, more in the word of God and allow the word of God to wash my life in that area. Or you may struggle in another area and you'll need to operate and you'll need grace in those areas. So this is just designed to encourage us to remember to look at God as our standard and to receive what he's done. This isn't designed to beat anybody up, but to let us know that we are desperately in need of a Savior and that Savior's name is Jesus Christ. And he came down over 2,000 years ago to save us from the bondages of these sins that we're talking about and to free us so that we can live holy, acceptable in peace, without strife, in his kingdom. If you don't know Christ, I encourage you to accept him as your personal savior today so that you can walk in the peace and joy of not having to be here. As you listen to some of the words of the song, as we close out, he's created you to do great and mighty things and to walk in victory. I love you guys, and I'll see you guys on Thursday as my husband and I finish our series on capitalism, socialism, and the kingdom. Love you guys. To walk on water, to calm the sea, to speak to mountains, I can be free just being me. To walk on water, to calm the sea, to speak to mountains, I can be free just I can be free just being me.